how to start and grow a paid newsletter. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because making extra money never goes out of style. Today, we're diving into a really cool business model that number one, scales, and number two, has really low overhead, and that is paid email newsletters. I'm joined by Danielle Desir Corbett, who started the Grants for Creators newsletter earlier this year. You can find it at grantsforcreators.com and has already built it up to around $1,300 a month in recurring revenue. Danielle also hosts the Thought Card podcast, which is all about affordable luxury travel and personal finance, some of my favorite topics. Danielle, welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. A longtime listener, truly an honor. I'm super excited. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Really grateful that we had a chance to meet at FinCon this past fall. But stick around in this one. You'll learn how Danielle came up with her newsletter idea, how she found her first subscribers, and how she sold the premium version of it. We're all kind of taught, well, email is a free thing, but hey, if you create something valuable, people will pay for it, as she has proven. Your listener-only bonus this week is my list of 50-plus newsletter niches to get your creative juices flowing. If you want to follow in her footsteps, you can download that at the show notes page for this episode. The easiest way to get there is just follow the link in the episode description of your podcast app. Again, that's my list of 50-plus newsletter niches to uh, get yourself started over there. But Danielle, take me back. So this is January 2022. The idea, the inspiration, why did grants for creators need to exist in the world? What inspired you to get started? So I have a grants administration background. So before I leave my nine to five job last year in 2021, I was a grants administrator. I would help physicians and researchers find grants and also apply for grants. I'm not a grant writer. But I would help do all the backend organizing and project management aspects of pulling their applications together. But I never really thought about winning grants as a creative person, as a podcaster, as a writer, as an author, until I actually won a couple of grants in 2020 during the pandemic. I actually won four in total, which opened my eyes as a podcaster. I was like, oh my gosh, there's funding out there to help launch my show or launch an idea and or to help continue to see it grow. So by the time I was leaving my job, 2021 came around, I was thinking about this grants for creators idea because I I knew that there was this missing piece that I've won several grants. I've been sharing grants with my friends who have also won grants as creators. And I just wondered if people will find it valuable for me to have one place to send all of these funding opportunities to. And, you know, I was really struggling with how to go about creating this offer. Was it going to be on a website traditionally through WordPress? I would have to spend maybe weeks or months pulling this together? Or was there another option? And that's where I was introduced to Substack. Okay. And so now the newsletter is hosted on Substack, kind of a plug and play platform makes it very easy to get started and start publishing this stuff. What's so what's interesting here first, like grants maybe is worth defining. Like my understanding is this is kind of like a scholarship for your business, like free money. Are there any strings attached with this? Yes. So I'm going to say air air quotes, free money, because there are strings attached to grants. Grants are highly competitive, but a lot of times there are stringent requirements in terms of how you can use the funds. Maybe you can't use the funds for advertising, for example, or you can't use the funds for a salary. Every grant is different. So definitely recommend looking at the fine print to seeing what type of expenses are allowed on this uh, type of funding opportunity, but also grants have strings attached in terms of what the grantor is looking for. Meaning a lot of times they're looking for a very specific to fund a very specific type of project, person, program. So it's free money, but there are strings attached. When I say free money, there's no interest, meaning it's not like a loan. You don't have to pay it back, but there are quite a bit of hoops for you to typically uh, jump through. Okay. And some of them are government sponsored. Some of them are sponsored by nonprofits, other organizations. 
Yes. So there are a variety of different types of funding organizations. Like you mentioned, there's government, there are nonprofits, but there are also private entities, private companies, like a lot of them that we know, like, for example, Capital One or um, Verizon or Comcast, um, Dove, all of these, a lot of these big, large companies, they have grants that are out there. Uh, banks also have grants that are out there as well. So overall, government, private and nonprofits are all are all fair game. Wow. This is it's a really interesting monetization angle for creators that we have not touched on in 500 plus episodes. Like, oh, I can monetize through sponsorships or my own products or affiliate relationships. Like, well, here's another angle that maybe you didn't consider. And so there's you know white space or blue ocean space for you to kind of sail into these uncharted waters and raise your hand and say, hey, um, I have a little bit of experience in this space as a former grant administrator. And by the way, I've got some credibility because I actually won some of these uh, for myself. And kind of I'm thinking of that, you know, Venn diagram of overlapping concentric circles. And here you go, right in the middle is I can help other people with this stuff. And so the newsletter gets started there. And then Substack was the low hanging fruit or the easy to implement uh, technology platform. So take me back. So now we're almost a year into this. What happens? You put out the first newsletter. Do you have an existing audience to that says, yeah, sign me up. I want to subscribe to this. So I did not have an existing targeted audience who were interested in grants specifically back in January. I did not have that. I had a lot of people who follow me through my podcast or just my ramble, my ramblings um, on social media, but nothing targeted. So thinking back in terms of how I actually wanted to launch this newsletter, there are a couple of things I thought about. I thought about, okay, Substack has this great, uh, easy formatting option. But in terms of the content, what's the cadence? I did not want to make too many promises because I was fairly new to like finding grants and, and trying to be consistent. And knowing that I wanted to have a paywall, I did not want to bite off too much that I couldn't chew, especially at the beginning. So instead of doing a weekly newsletter, I said, I'll do a biweekly newsletter, which will give me enough space to research, find, and also format and do all the things that's related to putting this together. So first was the frequency. So every made a lot of sense for me. Then was thinking about, do I want to activate the paywall at the beginning, in the middle, at the end? Like, when do I actually want to activate this uh, paywall feature? And for me, I knew that this was a valuable service because it takes me I would say anywhere from like six to eight hours of research a week to find funding opportunities. And when I say funding opportunities, that could be accelerators, residency programs, grants that could look like pitch competitions and contests. So I have a really wide net and it takes me time to source all of these things. So I knew from the beginning, like I would love to have a solid foundation of support. So to think about it, I said, okay, I definitely don't want to have everything paid because if it's 100% paid and this is a new offer, no one will really kind of see the value in it. So I started off with free newsletters. And I think I did two or three newsletters for free. Because also I was doing a lot of educating as well. Here it is talking about grants for creators, creators who don't even think of grants as an option. So putting a paywall too early would have definitely been a detriment. So I left my first three newsletters or so as free because I wanted to showcase like, hey, y'all, this is like, there's a lot of money out there. Let me help you do the research. Let me pull this all together and see how valuable this is. And then from there, I decided that I would do a... 2080 split, meaning that 20% of my newsletter would always be for free. The reason why I did this is because I understand that not every creator is in the space where they can afford to part ways with $5 a month or $60 a year. So I always wanted to have a part of my newsletter be like a goodwill newsletter, a goodwill part, but also it leads people in, right? Because they're like, wow, there's 
four, five, seven grants here that are for free, but I know that there's 30 total. So I'm really curious to see access to all the other opportunities found. So I like that strategy because it's like, I'm doing good. I'm helping people get some quick wins, get some wins, but also attracting people to also consider joining as a paid subscriber. Okay. So it sounds like a lot of the research was stuff you were almost doing anyway, and not putting it out into the world as a newsletter or a product, but just, you know, for your own sake, hey, maybe there's something else out here that I could win. And then, you know, the idea is like, well, maybe other people, you know, this would be valuable information to other people. So let's turn around and publish it. I like this idea of kind of the the sampler platter. Well, here, you know, here's a taste and we'll put, you know, put some of it behind the paywall and like the free samples at Costco, you know, get a, you know, get people interested in it and say, well, okay, that's cool. I'll go, you know, see what else there is. Maybe this is worth paying for them. Talk to me about, you know, that maybe that zero to a hundred subscribers level of, you know, how am I going to get people even to sign up for the free version of this, you know, something brand new that never existed before to say, yes, I want this in my inbox. Yes. I've used a handful of strategies and I'm really, really happy and of the deliverables and like what happened as a result of them. So I'm very big on Twitter. And like I mentioned earlier, I didn't have an existing grant-focused audience. There were just a lot of people who follow me for travel, podcasting, personal finance, that sort of thing. But I went on Twitter. And if you go to my profile at the thought card, the first pinned tweet will show you what exactly I said. But pretty much I said something like, oh my gosh, guys, I launched a new project. I'm super terrified because I was and called Grants for Creators. And my goal is to just help find US creators opportunities and funding opportunities. And I think that tweet showcased my vulnerability, right? Everyone knows the feeling of what it feels like to start something new. So I think that vulnerability really helped to just be like, what is she doing? She's being vulnerable. Let's support that. And also because I was filling a gap and filling a need, I think there was a lot of interest and buzz on Twitter. It's been treated tons of times. Um, So that was my initial, just sharing about it on Twitter. And like I mentioned, because grants isn't something that creative people think about at the onset, I did a lot of quick tweets about the power of grants, my personal experience with grants, um, how grants are for also creators who are also small business owners. So I had to do a lot of just like kind of promoting, uh, promoting not necessarily the, the newsletter itself, but also promoting the idea of like why this is valuable, how this can change your life and why just being on the, in the know is really important. So sharing on Twitter was my, was my go-to. Also, from that initial buzz, word of mouth has been really helpful. So I made sure to text my close friends via like my personal friends who I knew were creators who would find this interesting and said, hey, I'm starting this new project. Can you share this with your friends? Especially in the beginning, all the newsletters, they all had buttons to follow, to subscribe to the newsletter. So I'm always continuously like axing for the subscription, like ax, ax, ax to follow um, and join. And the word of mouth is very, I think also creator economy is like interesting where when people find something that's interesting and resourceful, everyone is like, oh my gosh. So there's just a lot of excitement when you find something. So word of mouth has been really helpful. Newsletter mentions have been huge for me. Partly, some of it was organic, meaning people saw I was launching this new project and they wanted to just add a link in their newsletter. Like tons of people did that for me in the beginning without me even asking for it. But these these were just like personal connections, personal creators who also ran a newsletter targeting other other creators. Like yes, yes, exactly. So there were just creators who who had their own newsletters and who just mentioned. I never asked them to do it for me. It was just organic and it was so kind of them. But sometimes there are newsletters that you may be a part of that acts for submissions. And I was intentional about that. So I also made sure to include grants for creators as part of those submissions. Like, hey, community members, tell me your updates for the week. Oh, I launched this thing. You know, so I made sure to really zero in on what's working. Newsletter mentions were great. So I made sure to go and seek them out afterwards as well. 
That makes a lot of sense. You know, if I'm targeting a newsletter audience, you know, well, where's a good place to reach them? In other newsletters. It's like um, John Lee Dumas had, had a line about, well, podcasters listen to podcasts, like this big epiphany moment. Like, if I want to grow my show, I got to get in front of other podcast audiences. So getting in front of other newsletter audiences makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like it kind of stems from your existing Twitter presence, which at press time around 9,000 followers. I don't know what it looked like 11 or 12 months ago, but a, you know, an engaged following over there and starting with this pinned tweet announcing the product and then some of this educational type of content. Was there any tweet or series of tweets that had any sort of viral uh, growth or viral impact to the account? I don't think so. I think it was consistently talking about it, uh, making sure at least once a day, at least once a day, I talked about grants for creators or I shared the link or just shared some fun facts, you know, or, or just something, something where I I know it could lead into to that. So yes, definitely just that consistency of promoting on social. And do you have a sense of the timeline to the point where you say like, Okay, there might be something to this project. I don't know. Is that a matter of weeks? Is it a matter of months? Because you're putting in the effort and energy to do this research and publish it to the world. And, you know, if you're not seeing enough traction early on, it can be easy to say, ah, you know what? I'm just going to go back to the podcast. I'm going to go back to my other projects and uh, table this one for later. You know, I started to feel really confident that this project had legs when I would gain subscribers on the days that I didn't have a chance to talk about it. Even if it was a free subscribers, like there, that means somehow, some way someone was finding me and decided that they wanted to follow. So that actually, I take, I would say took a couple of weeks. So maybe like four to six weeks, I was starting to see like, okay, if I kind of don't market it, I can start to see some traction. So that to me was very, very encouraging. Uh, but I also did a couple of other things that are not part of social, which I think is also important to mention, include Substack has this really great recommendation feature. So what that means is that when folks recommend your newsletter, it shows up on their page, on their profile. And Quite a bit of people find me through Substack's recommendation feature, which I was like, oh, I didn't even know that this was a thing, right? Because when you build your own site, there's no like, we're in the community together, like we could link to each other in a cool, interesting like way. Uh, but Substack has that really interesting recommendation feature, which I just say, just turn it on. Turn it on and make sure people can recommend you. This is like a button at the bottom of the email or something where people could click and... So on the side, in your settings feature, like there will be like a recommendations button that you can like click on. So just make sure it's clicked on and even recommend a few as well. So on your profile, you can recommend some newsletters. So it's kind of, it's like great, uh, great karma, right? Like you recommend newsletters, people recommend you. So I think Substack does a really incredible job with just creating a network, network of newsletters that all help each other to get discovered and found. Okay, so there's a little bit of a, an extra benefit to building on that platform. Is there some level of ecosystem of readers that like consuming content on that medium where versus being building a completely standalone asset on your own website that doesn't have that kind of built-in viral element like you would find on YouTube of, you know, suggested videos in the sidebar type of thing? Exactly. Yes, that is something that's like an added benefit that I didn't know of, but it has been really helpful. And now I do the same. So when I see a newsletter that I really like, I make sure to add it to my recommendations and it kind of like everyone is just helping each other to grow. So that's something I definitely recommend turning on. The last thing I just wanted to mention also for folks who are like, uh, I'm not really big on social media is if you are into speaking meaning that you don't mind speaking inside memberships, at events, at conferences. Take that as an opportunity to create content around your newsletter that you can take on the road. Because conferences, membership opportunities where I could speak on stage, um, award shows, all of these places I've been able to be on stage, talk about 
finding grants or, you know, why grants are important for creators. And that offers visibility for my newsletter as well. So whenever I do speak at an event, I always see a nice influx of people who are like, ooh, let me go and check her out. Have you experimented with any of the, um, what do they call them? Like subscriber referral incentive programs? Like, oh, you know, send us three new subscribers and we'll give you a sticker or send us 10 subscribers and we'll send you a t-shirt type of thing. I haven't. um, I don't necessarily like, uh, I'm not really big into merch. And I kind of have a feeling my audience really values the research. Like that to me is the value add. Like if I can help them cut down their time on researching to find these grants. So I kind of think of of it like just like keeping, just keeping it simple and being like, I'm your researcher. Like there's been people who came to me and said, Danielle, I, you, I hired you as my researcher. Like you yeah. give me the grants, <laughs> I put it in a spreadsheet and I just go and apply and, and I'm like, okay. Um, so I think keeping it simple and letting this content be able to speak for itself for me has been helpful for now. Okay. And have you played around at all with paid acquisition, paid newsletter ads or placements? I have not yet at this point. Not yet. Okay. Because I see some other newsletters, you know, who want to advertise or sponsor the Side Hustle Nation newsletters. And sometimes they're paying two, three, four bucks per subscriber. And it's like, you know, that for a free newsletter it's like, you know, I don't know how those economics work. If somebody sticks around for a long time and they bank on them clicking on some ad or offer or upsell or referring three other friends, like, cause they like it so much. It's like, it's really interesting to see, you know, they're investing in growth in that way. And then on the flip side, do you accept any sponsorships in the newsletter or is the monetization really solely the, uh, the paid tier? Yes. So I've dabbled with sponsors for the newsletter. I haven't been successful quite yet, but I've done promo swaps instead. So another maybe creator or another organization was interested in us just sharing audiences that has been like really helpful. And that's also a good testing ground. So if I do get a sponsor, I can say, hey, based off this example, this campaign, here's the results. So I could feel a little bit more confident in um, that approach, but it's definitely on the horizon. One thing about grants also is that a lot of times these grant funders are looking for visibility. So I definitely have my eyes out for like any grant funders who are like, I want to access your newsletter. I want to be in front. I want to be featured. That's potentially another income stream as well. So it's definitely on the table. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, we're 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 trying to get applications for this thing. We right. want to we got this money, we want to give it away. They're looking at that as a uh, you know, as a PR engine in a lot of ways, especially I imagine the corporate ones like, "Oh, look at us, you know, we're funding small businesses." Okay. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. 
Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. At what point do you turn on the paywall? I would say when you feel comfortable, hopefully early, uh, because for me, I really wanted to set the precedence. Like I mentioned, my first couple of newsletters were free because I wanted to showcase the value add, like what could we do and how consistent I could be. But as soon as I was able to, you know, get some traction and the hours are piling up, I said, hey, this is the game plan. You'll always get 20% for free and you'll get, uh, you know, every other week you'll get access. But if you want the entire list of archive of opportunities, then jump over to the paid tier. So I was very intentional. Like I wanted it to be monetized and I made sure I tried to do it as early as possible. How much do you charge? I've decided to start off at the minimum. Um, so Substack does have minimums. The minimum is $5 a month or $60 a year. And that's intentional. For me, I wasn't quite sure. Like I mentioned, like I had this idea. I wasn't quite sure. So I wanted to start. Um, I'm definitely thinking about increasing, increasing the rate. But also at $5 a month, it's like a no-brainer. Like, wow, $5 a month or I could win $10,000 like from a grant. It's a very easy, it's easier to say yes to because of the upside of them making so much from the grant winnings. Okay. And do you see that from the newsletters, the paid newsletters that are having success, like there has to be a monetary ROI or could you do this in a hobby niche? Like I'm just going to teach you how to you know, grow better plants in your garden or something. I absolutely think so. You know, we all have this knowledge, for example, if you're focusing on a knowledge-based newsletter or the skill, right? That people may be interested in improving or perfecting or just getting introduced to the idea. So I definitely feel like there's opportunity to monetize, even if it's not something like grants. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm on your most recent newsletter. This was sent a couple of weeks ago, Grants for Nonprofits. And it has three opportunities in the email. And then at the bottom, it says, subscribe to grants for creators to read the rest. Become a paying subscriber to get access to this post and other subscriber-only content. And then there's the button that says upgrade to uh, paid there. You know, what, what was the reaction to the subscribers? You know, when you first launched it, whoa, 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 come on. I thought this was a free thing. Do you get any pushback? I actually didn't get any pushback. And I positioned it as like, it takes me eight, six to eight hours per week to find this. Please help me support my family. And then when I eventually hired team members, like I have two team members now, but with each team member, I would say, hey, your support is helping us hire a researcher so that we could find even more opportunities. So I I led with the value in terms of like how much time it took me to put this together. I also led with like how we're reinvesting these funds. So that has been really helpful to be like, okay, this is like, it's actually going to three households and you're supporting us to continue this project moving forward. I also called it a project. Like I have this vision for this project. I will have a vision to see more creators get funded. I need your support to be able to do that. And I think people really resonated with that. That consistency of showing up every other week with what I promise, I think has been really helpful to build that know, like, and trust over time. Okay. And at the top of the newsletter, it says, hey, we found nine opportunities ranging from $500 to $300,000. And then here are the three in the newsletter. It doesn't specifically spell out like, you know, upgrade to find the other six or upgrade to access the other six uh, opportunities. I just, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, just not in this issue or if there's something intentional there. Yeah. So for this actually particular newsletter, I did not spell it out there, but I did offer a helpful tip section where I said, listen, even if you 
don't apply for an award right now, as you subscribe to this email, you'll be able to know when this opportunity comes again. And this is why this newsletter is so valuable. And I kind of put it in like little asterisks. So sometimes I do ask for the sale where I say, hey, listen, make sure you are subscribed to be a paid subscriber. But sometimes it's just those tidbits of like why this newsletter is valuable beyond what the typical, because everyone could see, okay, she provides grants every other week, but they might not know how to utilize the archives, right? They might not know, okay, we offer maybe co-working sessions or ask me anything sessions when I do become a paid subscriber. So I try to find unique non-boilerplate ways so that I don't bore myself and also bore my audience where they kind of glaze over like the request to join as a subscriber. Yeah, I want to be super, you know, hit me over the head with what are the benefits of of upgrading to the paid level. It's like, okay, you know, I, I just had a taste here, but, you know, here's what's inside the the uh, the paid version. And plus you get all this other stuff. And I don't know, maybe there's like a template way to just include that in every, in every issue to say, what's going on here? Talk to me about the take rate from free to paid. And if there's any metrics that you're shooting for on that front, I'm curious about like what what might be reasonable for somebody to expect? I believe Substack had released stats where they had said something to the to the extent of like ten to fifteen percent conversion rate from free to paid is a good stat. So I'm trending above that. So I felt like, okay, based on the averages, like I'm doing pretty well. What's interesting also when it comes to the scalability of like these newsletters is that, uh, my only a portion of my audience is helping to bring in this $1,300 per month, right? It's a very small percentage, less than 30% of my audience is bringing in this income. So I'm always trying to find other ways that I can get people off the fence. I kind of imagine them being on the fence in terms of like, okay, I, I like this, but am I really ready to part ways? So to encourage them, I try to do a couple of different things. Number one, I create playlists. So I call them playlists because as a creator, creators are like very, it's a very large term. There's podcasters, there's journalists, there's photographers in the term creators. So what I've done is I've created actually individual playlists, which list out different grants for a particular type of craft for podcasters, for example. So we have about seven playlists out right now. So that really kind of says, okay, get off the fence. Like I created this specifically for you. There's like 10 grants specifically for your craft. But then I've also thought about how can I bring this community together, right? How can I make applying to grants feel less isolating? So once a quarter, I try to do a live event. So I've done a co-working session where we all work on our grant applications together. That was well attended by the paid subscribers only. So that kind of encourage people, if you want to come and meet other creators and work on your applications, like that actually was a good push for paid. And then I've also done ask me anything sessions as well, where I open it up for everyone to come. So it was a free event that anyone who was part of the community could join. But if you wanted to access the replays, you had to be a paid subscriber. So these are like some creative ways I've been like playing around with like, how can I get people off the fence? And they do work. They they have worked for sure. Yeah, does Substack allow you to do like a, a Cyber Monday special where, you know, today only, you know, get half off your subscription or your pre, if you prepay for the year or something? Yes, they definitely do. They have great options in terms of offering sales. You can offer group subscriptions. So let's say if there's a, um, a large organization that wants to just purchase your newsletter um, for their members, you can do that. So there's lots of, of really powerful tech behind being able to do that for your audience. And do you have it set up where you can tweak the, you know, how the pricing is presented as we've heard recently, like, oh, if we default to the annual subscription, you know, we collect more cash up front and we have lower churn versus like, you know, if the default, like, oh, I'm going to ding your card for five bucks every month, every month, every month, like, ah, oh, now I have to make that renew or cancel decision every month versus every year. You know, honestly, I haven't gone too nitty gritty in terms of the analytics, but I would imagine that you should be able to to really make those decisions. But I just haven't at this at this point. Okay, yeah, if I'm doing the math on thirteen hundred bucks a month divided by five dollars, this 
250-ish subscribers. Is that accurate? Yeah. So we're almost at the 300 mark. Um, So we do have a sizable part of our audience who pays the five bucks a month. But then there are some people who are like, hey, I'd rather just drop the $60 and not have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I don't know. It's It's super validating to have anybody pay you any amount of money, you know, over the internet for something that you created, but to have now hundreds of people doing it, that's got to be a really cool feeling. And if you're comfortable sharing, like what's the size of the, you know, free subscriber base versus that 250, 300 paid subscribers? Yes. So let's see here. My total subscription, we're almost pushing at 1920. So 1920 in terms of all of our subscribers and close to 300 of them are paid. So as we can see, there's like 1,600 people who are on here who haven't jumped and left the fence to go on the paid side. But I think what to me is so valuable is like you said, the scalability. Like in face value, $5 a month from one person doesn't feel like a lot. But when you start to like have a community of people who are helping supporting, like to me, I can continue to do the good work and be there to serve these 2000 people because of the, the 300 people who do make the sacrifice and, and, and contribute to this project. So of course I want to capture everyone, but I'm just so happy that I can continue to do this good project and do this good work and feel supported um, as I am continuing to put this content out there. Yeah. Now, if you're at, like you said, the kind of those Substack metrics, 10 to 15% conversion rate uh, from the free level to the paid level, sounds like you're doing pretty well. And as those numbers continue to climb, yeah, do it, of course, do all you can to, you know, convert those free subscribers to the paid level, but continue growing the top of the funnel. And if the math continues to hold, it's just, it's something that scales, right? It takes you the same amount of effort to put out the newsletter when there were 10 people subscribed as now, you know, almost 2000. So it's something that is, uh, is really rewarding in that way and has, um, you know, almost no overhead cost aside from, you know, your own uh, time and in, in research there. The other interesting thing is like, because it's such a low ticket, you know, the ROI for subscribers is immense once they actually land a, a, a grant win. And we'll talk about kind of in a bonus round, how you might go about setting yourself up for success on some of those uh, grant applications. But it's, uh, you know, once, once they do win, you know, then all of a sudden you've got a fan for life and there's, this is, this is amazing. You know, they start uh, evangelizing the product for you, but it also opens yourself up to down the road, a higher ticket service offering. Maybe you bring on expert grant writer they will do that. You know, now we have the done for you level. You found something that you think is a fit, but you don't know exactly how to go about it. Hey, don't worry. We brought in this expertise, you know, for, you know, X amount, you know, much higher than the $5 a month. We can help you with that application, especially if it's a $300,000 potential win on the other side. Might be worthwhile to go down that path. But anything else on the monetization front that either you're excited to experiment with or you've been playing around with so far? I love that you mentioned that, right? The ancillary services or products or the supplemental products or services. And I'm closing out my first year with this newsletter by introducing two products, two digital products. So my first product is introduction to grants because I get a lot of questions still like grants, really? I'm not a scientist. I'm just, I'm not a musician or like a painter. Does this make sense? So I pretty much recorded a training that I put together answering a lot of the frequently asked questions about grants. So that is a $17 product that I offer. It's still low ticket, um, but again, it just gives them the information and people are signing up for it. I actually included in my welcome email and I have a welcome video also that has that as well. So just in case as they're coming in through the front door, they can now see this low ticket product that just, again, educates them a bit more. So that's product number one that I introduced this year. And then I have been looking for a grant writer because the next question that I get after, thank you, Danielle, for all these opportunities is how do I write my grant application? And I am not a grant writer. And I've been searching for someone that I can partner with who can really help us understand how to write a compelling grant. And I attended FinCon with you, Nick, and I actually found and connected with someone who attended my session all about grants because I presented at FinCon how to find and win grants. They attended my session, we connected, and now we're putting together a workshop 
answering the top three questions found on grant applications. So I'm now creating different products, standalone products that can sit with this uh, project. So a suite, a suite of uh, products now in addition to the newsletter. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I like this business model and really online business more broadly speaking is the scale. And once you have the audience paying attention to you, you really have a ton of opportunities that open up from the, you know, the paid tier, the advertising and affiliate side of things, the, you know, digital products, the sponsorships, the world really opens up and that's, and that's really exciting to see where you take this thing. So you're almost a year deep into it. Anything that you would do differently to accelerate things if you had to start over? So I was told by a mentor of mine, I had to be on TikTok and I was excited and I started on TikTok and I grew a little bit of an audience. I let my subscribers know, hey, I'm on TikTok and they, some of them came over and I was getting some traction and I dropped the ball. So I wish I would have continued to remain consistent on sharing content around grants or just even sharing opportunities on TikTok so that I could use it as a discoverability tool, right? Um, an evergreenish kind of discoverability tool. So I think I definitely dropped the ball there. And yeah, I, I think I need to get back on TikTok. <laughs> Long story short. <laughs> yeah, there is no other platform that has the explosive viral potential that I see today that that TikTok has. But the challenge is, and my challenge has always been like, I want to create content that's evergreen, that has some legs and lifespan that can you know, pay dividends for months or years down the road. And it's such a, the same thing with Twitter, like it's such a flash in the pan, either, you either hit the algorithm right or you don't. And it's, you know, okay, we'll try again the next time. And and the constant creative energy of coming up with that stuff. But if you do hit it right, you know, you can reach thousands, millions of people in a very short period of time. So that's exciting. Well, it's grantsforcreators.com. What's the future hold? Where do you want to take this thing? So I definitely want to hit those numbers, like gaining the 2000, which I'm pretty close to getting those 300 paid subscribers. Those would also be amazing. I want to also create more of those playlists, meaning I want to be able to be a resource to specific types of creators. So potentially authors, journalists, video creators, filmmakers. Um, so those are things that I want to also pursue. I have been fortunate enough where I'm able to hire a lead researcher for me. So in addition to me searching for opportunities, I'm also able to hire a researcher as well. So that has been really helpful to kind of being, if I have to step away from the project, things are not going to collapse. So that has been really helpful and freeing. And I also just want to continue to figure out other opportunities out there for creators. Like can we create an app, for example? Can we create like some technology that helps us with the sourcing? Like there's plenty of databases out there seeing if that, that could potentially be something that we create in the future as well. Okay, yeah, other ways to serve creators. And you bring up a good point about hiring out help to do the research because that's always been my internal pushback of creating any sort of membership program or a Patreon or it's like, well, number one, that sounds like that sounds like more work versus, you know, just carving out a piece of what I was already doing and say, well, that's free and this is paid. Like, ah, oh, do I really want to create this extra work for myself? And what did I commit myself to down the road? Like if I stop doing this research, then all of a sudden the business dries up. So you're being able to remove yourself from that aspect, train somebody, Hey, here's my playbook. Here's my recipe. You know, here are the places to go out and start to curate some of this material and hiring a, a researcher to help with that. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And then yeah, once you have this audience of creators, lots of different angles that you can go, well, how else can I serve you? This is just one, this is just one way. There's got to be others too. So again, grantsforcreators.com. You can find Danielle on Twitter at the Thought Card. Check her out over there. Very prolific Twitter follow. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for side hustle nation. I think leveraging what your interests and skills are. Like at the top of this episode, I mentioned that I was working in the grant space for seven years. Like that was my professional job. And I never, never would have thought that I would be creating this project now as a result of that. So you never know. Leverage your skills, leverage your resources, leverage your interest. And it's even better when you're already doing it for yourself. So what you're doing for yourself 
it could potentially be helping other people. Um, so then, you know, you hit on something really great. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting angle to find that intersection. And in some ways, we've talked about on the show, selling your sawdust. It's like the byproduct of the work that you're already, do- already doing. Maybe it's your your process flow or this template that you use or this Airtable document that you already use, the research that you're already doing, you know, all of that might be valuable to a segment of your audience or to a slight, you know, pivot it to a slightly different audience. One that I tried to do, you know, years ago when I was running my shoe business, like this online comparison shopping site for footwear, it's like we were pulling in all this pricing data. And I was like, oh, could we, you know, repackage and sell that up, sell that back to the stores that were providing it to us? Like, Hey, you know, we've got some competitive intelligence. Like, do you want to remain price competitive? Like, hey, you know, we could tell you in almost real time, you know, what your competitors are doing in terms of their pricing on specific products, but never ended up going anywhere with that. But I like this idea of kind of selling your sawdust. And then the other thing that stood out was this idea of, you know, bringing just a slightly unique angle to the table, right? You know, we talked a lot about how creators can monetize their audience through brand partnerships or through sponsorships or through affiliates or through their own, their own products and services. But, you know, coming at it from a grant perspective was a new angle. And it was uh, Nate Dodson on the show who was um, selling a course on how to start a microgreens business. And it was such a unique opportunity. He kind of credited that with some of his successes. Like people had never really considered this as a side hustle before. And, you know, by presenting that to them, it was unique and kind of checked some of these boxes. Well, that's creative. I never heard of that. Maybe I could do this. And so coming up with, even if it's a a business that has existed before or something that you've dabbled in, it's like, well, maybe if other people haven't considered it, maybe it's something that I can position in such a way that it seems unique and compelling and is share-worthy, is no-worthy in that way. But uh, stick around after the outro music. We're going to do a quick rundown on how you might be able to win some grants for your own business. Once again, your listener-only bonus for this week is my list of 50-plus newsletter niches to get your creative juices flowing if you want to follow in Danielle's footsteps. You can download that at the show notes page for this episode. Just follow the show notes link in the episode description of your podcast app to get over there. Big thanks to Danielle for sharing her insight. Side Hustle Show listeners get a 60-day free trial of LinkedIn Sales Navigator at linkedin.com slash side hustle show. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're finding value in the show, the greatest compliment is to share it with a friend. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. All right. Talk to me about applying for these grants. Any best practices that you've seen from people uh, actually winning these things, or I guess from your own experience in winning four of these? Yeah. So let's first talk about finding these opportunities. I think a lot of people would automatically go to Google. Let me just Google it real quick. And I would push back on that and say that Google is not the best resource because there's a lot of expired opportunities on Google. And it's going to take you a little bit of like digging and reading through the application to sometimes figure out that they're expired. Sometimes these applications also have location requirements as well. So you're like, this is a wonderful opportunity, but it's only for folks in Canada, for example. So there's a lot of potholes when it comes to Google, which is why I prefer actually to use social media. So if you enjoy using Twitter, Twitter is a great place because a lot of these funding organizations are tweeting out. They're literally desperate to get the word out and they're using social media. So Instagram and Twitter are also really popular where you can use certain hashtags like grant opportunity, for example. And a lot of times these funders or other people are just sharing hashtag grant opportunity. So this allows you to really just be able to quickly use a hashtag and fine tune and start to search using Twitter as a search engine. So that's my number one tip for Twitter. Aside from, of course, you know, you ought to subscribe, of course, to your newsletter and then you get the, the curated <laughs> list. Of I'm giving all the, I'm giving all of the juicy, the juicy bits. Yes, of course. You could absolutely subscribe. Uh, but like, I don't think people realize how beneficial social media is and using hashtags or just using their search bar. You can find a lot of different opportunities. 
And that's a more timely feed than what may be uh, indexed in Google. That makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Another way that I find that's really helpful when it comes to finding grants and different opportunities is to join newsletters of these funding sources. So whenever there's something that is interesting, I'm like, I must subscribe to a newsletter so that I can be the first to know when that application is about to close, if new opportunities come out. Um, Because sometimes, a lot of times, they actually send out newsletters to their private news subscribers first before they publicize everything. So I'm the first to know. I actually create a folder in my inbox with the title grants and opportunities, and it all gets put in there. So maybe once a week, I'll go in there. And now grants are popping on my lap versus me having to do the time-consuming research. So those are just two ways that you can now be a magnet attracting these funding opportunities. When it comes to the actually winning side, I'm really big on optimization. And what I do is I have a master document where I have all of my responses that I've ever applied for. Anything I've ever applied for, I have all my responses there so that I'm never starting from scratch when it comes to applying for grant opportunities because a lot of times they have this very similar questions like, tell me about yourself or tell me about your business. What's the impact or influence that your project has on your community? So you'll start to see lots of reoccurring questions and reoccurring themes. And if you have this master document, you could now start to craft and customize your pitch based off your last pitch. Maybe you have winning submissions now that you could pull from. So that really starts to make the application process a lot easier. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no, don't reinvent the wheel. I, f- I find myself kicking myself after, you know, filling in some online form and then it it chokes on the submission or something like, oh, why did I, why did I not copy and paste this into another document first, just to be safe? Exactly, exactly. Uh, the other thing I would just say also when it comes to uh, winning these grant applications is to really think about the story, right? Like we all have the story of like why we started our projects or the vision as to like why our podcasts are so important to us. So making sure we rope in story versus just saying the, you know, just stating the facts I think is also really important. But then again, I'm not a grant writer. So (laughs) take my advice with a grain of salt. (laughs) What's a good uh, batting average, so to speak, if you're applying for, you know, 10 of these things, is it reasonable to you know, have a 10% success rate, a 50% success rate? What have you seen from your your personal experience? It's really hard to say because around the 2020-21 time, I had a 100% success rate. And then in 2022, I have a 0% success rate. So it's really uh, difficult. But I also think it's some a little bit of a numbers game too. Like the more applications you actually submit, the better you tell your story, the more clear and concise. So it does help for you to continuously submit. And one more thing I wanted to say is that you'll be surprised by how many applications are literally two questions, three questions, five questions tops. So it's not long, not all of them are long dissertations that asking for your social and your W-9 forms and your tax forms. Some of them are really simple. So don't count them out just from face value. Yeah, I remember there were a handful of scholarships that I won for for attending college, you know, back in the day. And it was similar. And some of them were just, maybe they didn't have a lot of entries. Maybe they didn't have a lot of competition. Not that I wasn't a good candidate, but sometimes like, yeah, shoot, you know, for a potential $1,000 scholarship to answer a few questions, fill in this form, send it in, uh, you know, it could be a pretty good ROI. Anything else come to mind for the uh, 80-20 of grant writing optimization? Yes. Uh, just going back to what you had mentioned about like, um, sometimes you might get a notification from a funder that's saying, we extended the deadline for the application. That typically means that they don't have enough. So if you did not get your application in, make sure you do, because maybe the competition pool isn't as fierce. So I always take that as a good sign as like, okay, Let's make sure we get that in and we may actually potentially increase our chances of winning. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Danielle, this has been awesome. Really appreciate you joining me and sharing the ins and outs of this stuff and really wish you the best of luck in the new year. Maybe we'll have to circle back and do a a where are they now update to see what has uh, transpired uh, since this uh, episode. Excellent. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you.